Canada on the verge of qualifying for the World Cup. The Eagles are flying higher than ever. South America, not such a great weekend. And two women's tours to talk about. This is a podcast about rugby. Third episode, no name. Uh, a couple more came in the last week, so before next week, we'll do a poll online and you can decide uh, what it should be called, if anything. At the moment, it's the ARN podcast exclusively on America's rugby news. Anyway, I'm Brian Ray. Another huge weekend of international rugby behind us. A quick word before that, uh, some collegiate results. Congratulations to the Dartmouth women for winning their first national title Big Green 1914 over Harvard. I've toured both spots. Uh, great places to go. Uh, New England rugby really blowing up right now. So, congrats to them. Up in Canada, the men's university championships are underway in Victoria. Uh, UBC and Queens today clinched their spots in the final. Very nice to see Queens in it this year after they skipped out last year. Uh, and refreshing to see a team not from British Columbia in the mix. Uh, take that for what you will. You can find the stream link on the website. Really looking to that final on Sunday. Uh, round two of the World Cup repechage is done. First up, Hong Kong versus Kenya. Uh, the Dragons taking a gamble, pretty much changing their entire side. Uh, maybe taking the win for granted? Uh, not sure, but... Kenya had them in real trouble in the first half, and then the cavalry was summoned pretty early to salvage that game. 42-17, the final. The bonus point win keeps Hong Kong alive. Here's Captain James Cunningham. You know, it was a bit scary at the start there. You know, the Kenyans came out real fast. You know, they were playing some great rugby, you know, but we, we did what we wanted to. You know, we, we knew we had the fitness, so we just grinded it out, and then we finally got some points on the board towards the end of the game. You know, we're really excited for the game. We know how strong they are, and... um. You know, we're just going to come out and do exactly what we did again today. You know, try and get a faster start than today. You know, I thought we let ourselves down a little bit there. But, you know, then just know we've got the fitness to keep going through for 80 minutes. So, you know, uh, we'll bring it all next week and hopefully we can get a result. You know, one thing I've noticed with Hong Kong's uh, comments that I've seen online are I'm not really convinced that they believe they can win. You know, as pundits, we can say whatever we want, but the team really has to have the mindset that they can pull it off, even if the odds are stacked against them. So hopefully they show up and really give it a go. Obviously, I'm biased. I want Canada to win, but it would be good for the game and the competition if there was a real test for what is effectively a knockout final. Uh, Canada, as expected, a nerve-wracking win over Germany. 29-10 the final, but it was very much a contest until around the hour mark. Uh, some big moments in that game. Mike Shepard in his first test start, uh, the Toronto Arrows captain. A huge hit on German hooker Kurt Haupt that pretty much knocked him out of the game. Uh, he went off for an HIA on his knee. You can Figure that one out. Uh, he came back on, but really had very little influence after that. And Haupt was one of uh, Germany's key ball carriers in the Hong Kong match. Evan Olmsted, a couple big turnovers. Uh, the turning point for me was when Julius Nostat, the uh, the loose head prop, had a complete brain meltdown and shoved Theo Sauter off the ball. So instead of getting an attacking line out, it's a penalty to Canada. Next thing you know, Germany is getting a warning and it was all downhill from there. Uh, really not sure what he was thinking. Uh, here's Phil Mack's thoughts on the game. It was incredibly difficult. We knew they were going to come out strong and we knew they were going to be a big physical side. So we, we really prepared for that, but you can't replace pressure. And going into that game was was one of the most pressure-filled uh, feelings I've ever had. and Just so proud of the way the boys hung together and stuck it out. Um, really happy uh, to get a game like that, and we still have one more. So again, uh, just like last week, we got to reflect on this, carry on, and then uh, you know, we'll hopefully get a trip to the World Cup. You know, this team has been through so much. We've had a couple tough years, a, a lot of losses in a row, but the learnings that we've taken from each one of those has really prepared us for these situations. And um, you know, you, you take a lot from when you lose, and. Like again, I'm just so proud of this group. Um, had some composure, and we knew we needed to manage the game in a little bit of way. So uh, to come through was awesome. For me, this was Canada's best performance of the year, and 
best really for a long time. And what was especially pleasing was to see forwards, you know, the big men taking the ball on with real purpose and in defense, making offensive tackles. How many times have we seen in the past where the forwards just passively wait on the gain line and they're absorbing phase after phase, you know, making tackles, but going backwards. This time they were hitting in twos and winning the contact area. Really pleasing to see. Uh, here's Kingsley Jones. They're really pleased for the team today. Great performance, I felt. Uh, it was tough at times. We knew it would be. Germany a really strong side, big side, and it's a cup match, you know. So 60-minute mark, it was no surprise that uh, the score was close, but to come away with a bonus point win in such a big game, is, it shows massive maturity from our team and uh, really pleased with every individual. Moments of class from the players that we know, um, giving us the difference, but um, ultimately a fantastic 23-man effort. A uh, couple of things to improve on. We left a few points out there, but um, we'll enjoy this evening. It's really important to enjoy the wins. But back to work tomorrow, and of course, we got another big game next Friday, uh, and we don't intend, obviously, to, uh, to have any complacency. So we'll, good night tonight, and we look forward to Hong Kong next Friday. So last round of the repechage is ahead. Kind of a winner-take-all, sort of. Uh, the easiest way to explain this is Hong Kong now only has one route to victory. They must win by at least eight points and score four tries to get the bonus point in the process while holding Canada to less than four tries, so preventing them from getting the bonus point. Makes sense? Uh, any other outcome in Canada are in. Obviously, the goal for them will be to win, period, to avoid any of the mathematics, but that's that's the gist of it. Uh, the USA 31-5 over Romania. Really good performance from the Eagles. You know, we didn't really know how the Eagles would do without not only A.J. McGinty, but Samu Manoa and, and Sean Davies. And, you know, back-to-back -back wins now. Uh, Will McGee stepped in at, at number 10, had a good game. Paul Asiki and Bryce Campbell, uh, dominant in the midfield. Really bright performance from young Ruben de Haas at Scrum Half, who is thankfully okay to play against Ireland this weekend. I, uh, and I thought the second row in particular was outstanding. Greg Peterson is playing maybe the best rugby of his career right now, and, and Nick Savetta also tremendous. Uh, so the Eagles now 13th in the world, ahead of Italy, ahead of Georgia, ahead of Samoa. Really encouraging stuff, and we'll touch on that again later. Ireland, of course, up next. Uh, they beat New Zealand in a very intense match in Dublin. I actually think the win at Soldier Field was a better game, but, you know, to each their own. It was certainly worth, worth watching. The atmosphere at the Aviva, as expected, amazing. Great venue. Uh, we'll talk South America a little later on. A quick review of the scores. Uruguay smashed by Fiji 68-7. to Ouch. Uh, Chile lost to the Maori 73-0. There were four or five tries right at the end that kind of blew up the score a bit. The Sudamerica 15-75-22 over Paraguay. Trifest in Asuncion. Argentina losing 28-13 to France. It wasn't so much the scoreline that was bad. It was the second half performance just wasn't up to scratch. And we will address that point specifically in a bit. Uh... Scotland is up next for Argentina. The talking point for them is the selection of Finn Russell at inside center for the first time with Adam Hastings at fly half. That could potentially be very exciting or a bust. I guess we'll find out on Saturday. Here's Gregor Townsend talking about that decision. It's evolved more because of circumstances with other players. So Sam Johnson uh, was in the squad, Matt Scott uh, was in the squad, so there's two players that can play 12 um, that, are, that would have got opportunities. Uh, Peter Horn has ended up being involved in all three games, Alex Nambar now involved in, in his third game. Uh, and we believe, given that, the, um, that we have had injuries and given that Finn and Adam have combined well in their, their, their games they've played, and also our, our focus for this week, um, we, we believe it's a, a good time to, to see how they go against Argentina. I'm, I'm always excited with any team that, that gets, gets selected. Uh, I believe it'll be um, an exciting prospect for Adam to start for, uh, for Scotland in his first game at BT Murrayfield, to have two strong communicators either side of him, so someone that plays regularly at 10 uh, on his shoulder, uh, someone that's played a lot of matches for, for Scotland and captained 
Scotland on a number of occasions inside him. Um, I believe he'll be excited about a big in that opportunity, but also he can share the the um, the decision making with those around him more. There are two women's tours we need to talk about. Uh, Canada is kind of halfway through theirs now. Uh, They lost to England 27-19 on Sunday, and that's not a bad score, actually, particularly since a year ago they were swept in a three-game series against England with the closest score, 49-12. I thought Canada played the better rugby. England just too strong up front, especially their driving mall. Here's head coach Sandro Fiorino. Uh, we started a bit slow, um, but once we got some momentum going and in the first the end of the first half, uh, game came together. I think we've we got some of the younger players in tonight. We got their first caps, and we'll get the chance to look at the video and uh, get them ready for the next battle. You know, we got one game out of the way. Uh, a lot of evidence out there. We'll, we'll have a look at the video and uh, you know build uh, some momentum moving towards Wales. It's outstanding to have uh, seven new players come in and um, do their part. Uh, very unselfish performance by many of them, uh, but they stuck to the game plan and uh, executed well. And they played a reserve side against England Academy on Wednesday and won 35-14. Next up, Wales on Saturday. That one will be live-streamed on the Welsh Rugby Facebook page. The Women's Eagles ended their four-match tour on a winning note, 19-10 over Ireland in Dublin on Sunday. A good performance overall. Here's head coach Rob Kane. I'm just really happy for the players. You know, they've worked so hard. Um, you know, it's been a great 20 days together and, and proofs in the pudding, as they say, and, and they've delivered a great performance, which has resulted in, uh, you know, our first test win together. Yeah, really excited. I mean, you know, we've got a lot of work to do, but it's nice to finish with a bang. And um, it's great to see all the players' hard work get rewarded. And we, we do a review after the tour. We sit down and, and just keep, keep helping them trying to be the best version of themselves. We could expand on that for a bit, but it's probably better if we talk to someone who actually knows what they're talking about. Uh, Joining us now from sunny San Diego is team captain Kate Zachary. Hi, Kate. Thanks for joining us. I appreciate you're just back from your tour, probably pretty exhausted. Uh, Before uh, we get going, I just want to commend you on the masterful live tweeting of uh, that uh, midweek game. (laughs) Do do you have a greater appreciation for the team's communication staff now doing that? I know uh, Alina was over there traveling with the team. Um, Alina, you know, more power to her. She does an amazing job. (laughs) I was so stressed during that entire game trying to tweet and keep up and make sure everything was spelled correctly. But by the time I did that, like four plays later had happened. So I was like back tweeting things and I was, it was cold out too, but I didn't even need to wear gloves because my hands were just moving so fast. It didn't get cold. Um, Yeah. It made my heart race most of the time. So yes, more power to people who live tweet games. I is not a lifestyle for me. (laughs) Apparently you have a degree in communications. Is that right? Are you perhaps eyeing a career in the media once your playing days are done? Um, yes, yeah, so I studied mass communications. I was actually more on the design side of things, so stuff that's slower paced. But um, actually, I'm looking into potentially trying to help with maybe some, like maybe broadcasting on MLR and things like that, which would be cool. And um, I don't know, I think it'd be an interesting field and a great way to stay like in the rugby side of things without doing any more of the bashing and smashing. So. <laughs> I think it's very much an option. That's a, that's a good idea. Certainly you have uh, Pete Steinberg in your corner. Uh, so you were part of the World Cup team. Uh, Canada got right back into it, toured England last November. But uh, these were the first games for the Eagles in about 14 months. Now, you always expect a bit of a break uh, following the World Cup, but do you think that was maybe a little too long? Um, I think you could definitely argue that it was too long. Um, it, it would have been nice, I think, to get together more. But on the flip side, we did have a coaching change. It allowed Rob to come in and kind of get his bearings. They put a lot of focus in the age group programs this summer. And I think ultimately, you know, as much as the senior side, I know would have liked to get together sooner. It was a good opportunity to really focus on building up um, instead of basically starting at the top and then, then focusing on age grade after. Um, So they had the summer tours with the U20s the Collegiate All-Americans, and they took them to like Nova Scotia and stuff. So I think it was a good opportunity to build those girls up, and that allowed us to also bring them then on the senior tour, um, and hence the reason we had, I think all in all, we ended up with 18 caps total, um, and they performed, like, excellent. Um, and it's just, it's a good move, I think, because we need to build the program. We've had some girls retire since World Cup, um, and if we're going to be competitive, 
and then ultimately we need to get those girls more playing time. So I think all in all, like it's worked out. Um, I think you could argue both ways. It was too long, but we did also have a really successful WPL season. We had I think 17 girls come from nationals straight to Chicago. So it wasn't like people weren't playing. We just weren't playing all together. And as you said, uh, you know, new coach, Rob Kane, lots of new faces, although you did have some veterans back. You're the new captain. And, and then uh, after all that time, you know, first up, you're taking on the world champions. So it's kind of a, a baptism of fire. What was the message to the team heading into that game? Um, well, one, it was, you know, set the standard. So why not start with the best of the best for the getting back into it? With the girls, honestly, it was, you know, we knew it'd be a tough game. Um, it was our first week together. We had about four days of training. The biggest thing was it was a reminder that we're on a long journey. This was a short-term thing, right? The games, we were having this tour. We had some short-term goals in place to get people capped, get people experience, enjoy it, um, embrace the crowd, embrace the home facilities, embrace the fact that this is the biggest stadium the women's teams have ever played in, um, and just enjoy it. Um, and just reminding people that, you know, ultimately the long-term goal is to be the best when World Cup rolls around. Um, and so there was going to be tough moments, but to also celebrate the little moments. So when people have a line break, like even if we don't complete it, like look at the opportunity we made and how can we be better at that opportunity next time? But just to celebrate every little moment we had and just enjoy it. I mean, it was a fantastic crowd, fantastic facility, great day. I mean, all in all, I think everyone really, really enjoyed it. Nobody paid attention to the scoreline at all. So is, is that what you as a senior player take out of this? I mean, obviously for the young players, this was a huge learning experience, but for the senior group, is it just about taking the game kind of for what it was and not getting too wrapped up in the result? I think so. I think um, it was one thing to kind of manage the expectations because you definitely, you know, you kind of nailed it there. The veterans have now, they've been around, they've been to the World Cup, they've experienced, you know, our fourth place finish, like competing with the best and the best. Um, but I think after after the game was over, I know some people were frustrated, but the more we talked about it, um, everyone bounced back really quick. I think they really you know, jumped on board. We're in agreement that like, you know what, if we're going to be good, if we're going to be great. We have to take, you have to take some setbacks in the sense of losses, but realistically it wasn't a setback by any means. Like again, we had in that game alone, I think we started with eight new caps right off the bat. Um, and it was just embracing them and pushing them to be the best they can. I think the veterans did a really great job of embracing the new, new players and helped build them up over the co- course of the 21 days we were together. Um, and I think that made a really big difference in mentality for the, the whole tour. Um, people knew it wouldn't be easy, but I think they were more focused on making sure each player got better instead of were we going to win against New Zealand or England or Ireland. We were just focused on making sure each player got better each game. And for you personally, I mean, you were a, a, an All-American soccer player, a latecomer to the sport. Here you are captaining your country against New Zealand at, at Soldier Field. So, I mean, like standing out there, hearing the anthem in that situation had to be an emotional moment for you. Um, it's definitely one one moment for a lifetime. Um, try not to get too overwhelmed with that, though. Um, you know, I've you know stood at multiple national anthems, but it's something special and you know, it's in your home crowd like that. I had a lot of friends and family in the stands, um, a lot of friends and family watching. Um, but honestly, I was just more excited. Um, super pumped about the fact that like the women's rugby program is growing so much that we're going on this three week tour. Um, we had so many new players more than anything. I was just really excited for that feeling and how many fans were in the crowd there to support us. Um, I know I didn't really think about like me personally as the captain, but more like how big this was for the program and how cool it was going to be overall. Well, maybe we can see why you've uh, made the evolution, if I can call it, from from soccer. Um, <laughs> on the on the rugby wrap-up with Matt McCarthy, we saw that, uh, for those who haven't seen it, check that one out. Uh, you were on there about a month ago, just before the tour. Uh, we've seen others make that switch from soccer to rugby. What I'm wondering is how does a talented soccer player end up playing in the forwards where you don't even really get a chance to kick? <laughs> Um, you know, I like to think I'm big and strong and quick, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I actually, I played goalie bef- early on in my soccer career and then transitioned to playing forward. But, um, I also have three older siblings who beat me up. So I'm constantly used to, uh, 
you know, wrestling matches with my brothers or running away from my sister. So she can't, you know, make fun of me or beat up on me either. So they actually like to take the credit for the fact that I am decent at rugby nowadays. So my brothers constantly <laughs> tell me to remind, they remind me to thank them, I guess, actually. So um, it, for me, honestly, was kind of a natural transition, I feel like. And um, I don't know, I kind of actually like being in the forwards because you do, the expectations are to be physical, but you're also now expected to be quicker and also still have the handling skills of the backs and uh, kicking also looks like it looks like a lot of work for me. So <laughs> I kind of like the idea that I'm not expected to kick, but if I did, it'd be really cool because I'm a forward and nobody expects a forward to kick. Hey, do you still practice kicking? Like, have you ever challenged like mm-hmm. Megan Foster or Kimber Rozier to a kicking competition <laughs> of practice? <laughs> um, I haven't, um, you know, really nailed down the place kicking side of things, but um I actually do uh, practice a lot of grubbers and um, we went on a development sevens tour this past spring and um, Jared Fowl was our a coach for that. And I play under him for the San Diego surfers. And we made a play where if we got a penalty and we were about 10 meters out, he's like, what you're going to do is you're going to start to run sideways and grubber it. And one of our players ran onto it and we actually scored a development tour and I grubbered it in for one of our players to score. So sometimes I still kick around though. It's just fun. A secret weapon, as it were. Okay, let's we'll go back to the tour now. Uh, so, second stop, Allianz Park, the home of Saracens in London, another uh, good venue there. It's again, no, barely a step down. It's from the world champions to the World Cup finalists in England. Uh, did your pregame expectations change any from the first match to the second? No, not particularly. In the long term, again, the whole theme of the tour was, you know, this is the beginning of a journey. Um, really the only thing that changed is we went from, we've been together for four days. So here's a general game plan, you know, like nothing technical, just, we want to move the ball in this direction on defense. We just want to launch together, you know, keep, kept it very simple, like kind of a bare bones of a game plan. And then going into England, we started, okay, now what I want to see is more of like this kind of play, or we want centers to hit more of these lines, but it was still very like, see how each player plays, let them play how they play. Um, I think one thing Rob really wants to see is um, wants to see personality in each position. So you, know, you don't want to take a player like Gabby Cantorna and be like, this is what I want a number 10 to do. And this is how you're going to play, but rather here's the roles of a number 10. How can you use your strengths to play that way? Um, and so that was kind of moving to England. What we, the only thing we changed was like, here's some more guidelines, but I want to see how you guys play within those. Um, and then the overall thing, like I said, was just, just enjoy it. There'll be errors, but celebrate the good moments and bounce back from the bad moments. Right. And speaking of bad moments, you had to know, uh, this was coming. Megan Rom sent off early for, well, you know, your, your reaction kind of said it all really in the match. Were, were, were you concerned when they started going to the TMO? Um, to be honest, I actually, the ref walked up to me and she goes, um, you know, we, we had actually gotten a, I think a penalty or scrum or something. And, She's like, oh, but hold on. I have to look at something for foul play. And I was like, oh, okay. I wonder what happened. Like, assuming it was in our benefit because we had the ball. And I was like, you know, what foul play are you talking about? So she goes to the TMO and I turn around and then I see it's when Megan's carrying the ball. And I'm like, wait a second. It's like, this isn't for us. This is going to be against us. And I, so I was like, what is happening? So then the ref walked over. She calls us over and Again, I'm still not expecting anything. I'm like, okay, I could see where this looks bad. Maybe it's like a yellow card. Maybe it's a warning. Like, I don't know. And then the red card came out and, you know, you nailed it. Uh, my face <laughs> right there on the camera. Uh, I was very, very surprised. But, you know, I talked to the ref and she explained, you know, technically by law, if we're going to enforce it, then, I mean, technically speaking, then yes, by law, you know, forearm to the throat, et cetera, like around the head, I guess, like, if you take it word by word, then yes, it is unfortunately a red card. And Megan took it like a champ. You know, she walked off the field. She, you know, she was great all to her. She was super supportive. Um, I think mentally it was tough, but she honestly took it very well considering. Well, you know, personally, I, I think she was very hard done by, and I think some of the, the rugby we've seen, you know, since then and during this this November International Series, a lot of people would question some of these these decisions. But uh, this is a real test of your captaincy early. Uh, red card that early in the game can be pretty devastating, especially for an inexperienced team. Uh, but, y- you know, you guys actually 
came out all right in the end. What did you say in that moment to kind of keep everyone's head in the game? Um, after I talked to the ref, I turned back and went to the girls. And again, kind of everyone had the same expression with the, you know, the jaw dropped. Um, and I just told him, I said, look, unfortunately that happens. We go to 14 and that's okay. Um, but now everyone, you have to play for Megan. Um, we have to, yes, we're a player down, but now we need to play for Megan. We need to lift her up and play as if she was on this field. And um, everyone really embraced that. Everyone stepped up, you know, and played beyond their role. And I mean, it, it doesn't take much. You just have to recognize like nothing changes. The game plan's still the same. We still execute the same. Maybe just be more aware on kicks because we're going to be short of back now. But at the end of the day, there's nothing different. So I think that was that was just the biggest message is the team mentality and to play for Megan now. And then, you know, it wasn't just 14. You you know, you got sent to the band. There was a penalty <laughs> try. The team's now down to 13 for 10 minutes. Uh, England scores a couple tries. That had to be frustrating, obviously, watching it. But then there's a period in the second half where instead of maybe the rails falling off like we might have seen you know, in other teams, you actually held England scoreless for a good, I think it was about 25 minutes, and then Janine Duncan scores for you. So was that the main positive in the, in the post-game analysis, looking at that period and saying, hey, you know, we were in this even though we were shorthanded for most of the game? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so I took my little 10-minute uh, break there for a while, and <clears throat> I think the girls, they actually did really well with only 13. Um, I mean, it's tough now when you have two players down to cover all the space. And England's a very good um, technical team. And, you know, they exploited a few things, but overall the girls, I think they embraced the challenge and they did well. But, yeah, in the second half, um, when I came back on, you know, it was one of those, like, all right, now's the time. Like, we're still down 14, but we don't need 15 people. If we can do the little things right, we'll, we'll, we'll score a try. We'll play really good defense. And the team, I mean, they played out of their minds. We had awesome defense. We had a lot better tackles. Everyone was doing their roles on defense, getting into position, launching together. If you do those little things right, you could play with 13, 12, 10 people against one of the best teams as long as you work together. Um, and I think we really found that groove there in the second half. And yeah, absolutely. It looked, it looked amazing. So, I mean, kind of an, an upwards trend right from that, that that red card moment for the team and, and maybe your yellow card. But uh, So two defeats in a row. The fringe players, though, then got a memorable win over England Academy. That was your uh, your your Twitter explosion there. How much of a lift did that give the team heading towards Sunday's match against Ireland? Um, it, it really helped a lot. I think people are still in positive spirits after the New Zealand and the England game. Um, but, you know, you also can't help but want to win, right? I mean, you just want that retribution of, like, we've done something good. Like, yes, we've spent the last two games saying, Oh, the scoreline doesn't matter. Like we played well, look at all these moments, but you know, there's still that little bit in the back of your head. That's like, yeah, but we still lost. Um, and it was huge. I mean, we had a couple girls who hadn't played yet either. So they were coming off, not playing for two games. Um, and they were just lightning on the field. I mean, the tackles we made, the runs we had, the execution of our back line, um, you could really start seeing the game plan was coming together. You know, we still have stuff to keep working on long-term, but all the short-term stuff, like the goals we'd been setting, the key aims, um, they executed that game. And it was, the kicking was on point. I mean, we made some great kicks. We took a penalty when we needed it, um, scored some great tries, which all included support. And the, just the um, this the vibe, I guess if you'll say on the bus on the way home, like everyone was just ready to go. Everyone was excited for the Ireland game. Um, and I think it, w- it was a good boost at the right time. And then it obviously paid off. Last stop, Dublin, Ireland, kind of a similar team uh, to you guys, a team in transition, um, a little bit lower on the rankings, but, you know, still a, a threat, obviously. You-, you came away with a convincing win. Was it important to get a result at the end of the tour? Um, I don't think we're focused on it. Um Again, it does make a statement and it does send people off in even better spirits. But um, I think ultimately at the end of the day, like we knew it was a, it was a game we could win, but we could also lose very much. I mean, Ireland is a good team, um, but they hadn't been practicing as much. And now we were, you know, what about two and a half weeks into being together. Um, so there definitely was a little bit of pressure and expectation that we should do well. Um, and so it was just kind of reminding people that like, you know what, we're Eagles, we're going to go into this cool, calm and composed. 
but we're also going to bring the pressure because you know what? We have been together for a little over two weeks now. Ireland hasn't been together as much. And, you know, if we just put on the pressure and do the little things right, like we can win this game. And I think that was the biggest focus was just don't get panicked. Don't get overly excited, but celebrate if we score and then reset and do it all over again. And I think you could see that, especially in the first 20 minutes of that first half, it was score, reset, you know, put some pressure on score, reset, fell away a little bit there in the uh, second part of the first half. Um, but we reset at halftime. We acknowledge the fact that, you know, we kind of slipped off there for a bit in the next 40 minutes. I think we really put some more pressure on, but Ireland gave it right back. You know, they were, they scored right before halftime. Um, so they kind of went in technically with the upper hand into halftime. So it was, that's always something you never know how a team's going to come back come second half. The second half almost went the same. You held on, you had that lead. They scored right at the, the end, kind of, you know, make the scoreline look a bit better. But but overall, it was, a, it was a strong performance. And looking at that, you know, the first match to the last, as you say, things were all coming together. You, you know, you'd been training together and living together. To have it all culminate in a result, uh, you know, not only for yourself, but also for, for Rob and his first big tour with the team, uh, getting that first test win as a group, that had to feel great ending on such a positive note. Yeah, definitely. I think um, everyone from the new players to the veteran players, um, everyone felt really, really good after that game. And I think the whole culmination of the tour, um, you know, we didn't have any issues. Everyone, the vibe overall was very positive um, for people being away from home, dealing with, you know, their own personal stress of work and stuff. Like, by the end of that tournament, I mean, everyone was, I mean, we had karaoke on the bus on the way back to the hotel that night. Um, and the vibe was really good. And I think going to the airport the next day when we got to Newark and everyone was going their separate ways, there was a lot of sad people. And I think that's a good thing though, because everyone really, really enjoyed the tournament. Everyone enjoyed each other. Um, they enjoyed the fact that it was stressful, but also successful. And I think they're very, very excited for what's in store for the next year. So that kind of leads into my next question. What is in store for next year? It was, you know, 14 months from the World Cup to those games. So, you know, what's next? Uh, we've heard rumors that maybe a, a regular calendar is finally on the way. Has anything been said to you? When does the team get together again? Yeah, I think the goal is to have something actually in March or April. Um, I think they're still finalizing that, but um, we'll play a couple international matches there, um, hopefully in March or April. Um, and then in July, ideal it'll be the Super Series again. Um, so we're looking at hopefully getting like New Zealand and England and a couple other teams. Um, and that should, if all goes well, it'll be here in the States actually. And then um, November is still very much in the works, but they're, um, the women's side of international rugby is trying to operate the same as the men. So we'll do another autumn internationals, which will again fall in November. So similar to how the men's do a spring, summer and fall test matches throughout the year. The goal is this next year to do that for the women as well. So we're looking at between this November through next November, having somewhere around 10 games, which is how many games we had between the last World Cups total. So this next year is going to be a lot of opportunity for people to get playing time. Well, that sounds like a real boost and something that's long overdue. Uh, for you personally, you've also played international sevens. Are you going to be jumping back and forth between the two programs or are you just focusing on the 15s at the moment? Um, I'm actually still in the works of making that decision. I, um, After Sevens World Cup in San Fran in July, I decided to take the fall off um, and just play club rugby, um, kind of focus on my own personal life and just take a break as well. Let my Not that taking playing 15 does necessarily give my body a break, but it was a break from the day to day. Um, so still deciding what I'm going to do come January and, you know, sit down and talk with Chris Brown and stuff, but they're doing great. They look like they're doing amazing. They're getting ready to head off to Dubai. So can't wait to watch that actually. A couple quick questions before I let you go. Last week it was announced that New Zealand will be hosting the 2021 world cup. You're still, you know, just about on the right side of 30. The Olympics are obviously there too, but <laughs> is the world cup, the big goal for you now? Do you think you're going to push on till then? Definitely. Definitely. I am 100% in for trying to make the next world cup. Um, it's, I've never been to New Zealand, so I am very much keen on trying to make that tour. And um, it's an amazing experience. I loved the World Cup in Ireland. Um, between the staff, the players, the event, it was, it was super memorable. And it's something I would love to do again.
And I, I hear you're a bit of a coffee aficionado. How did the, the Java across the pond compare to back home? Um, you can tell they usually like espresso more than large cups of coffee. Um, so we had a very wide array of um, extremely strong coffee to brown water. But um, if I've learned anything from my tours on sevens, you bring your own coffee contraption and your own coffee just in case you don't find yourself in a hotel with good coffee. So we had our own coffee club a couple of days uh, throughout each week in my room. So you are wise beyond your years. <laughs> well, thanks again for giving us your time, Kate, much appreciated. And we look forward to following your progress, whether that's on the seven stage or the 15s, where, wherever it is. Absolutely. Thanks for giving me a shout. Enjoy the holidays. Kate Zachary, captain of the Women's Eagles, and I might add a very well-spoken ambassador for American rugby. I agree with Mr. Steinberg. A role in the rugby media looks to be in Kate's future. You can find her on Twitter at KateZach28, or if Instagram is more your thing, Kate underscore Zach will do the trick. Uh, Shifting gears now, we've got just enough time to talk some South American rugby and maybe touch on the North American results at the end. To do so, we we will now call upon our very own Paul Tate. All right, Paul, good weekend for North America. Not so good, it has to be said, for South America. Uh, let's start with Argentina. 28-13, they lose to France. And for the second week in a row, they're in the match until about halftime, then did next to nothing in the last half hour. Uh, we saw the same thing. You know, of course, that, that huge collapse in the last match of the rugby championship against Australia. Is, is this a mental issue? What's going on here? I would think so, yeah. I mean, I, I saw Sergio Stewart from Ole saying this was the weakest performance of Ledesma's era in charge. And uh, the numbers certainly back that point. And uh, I, I certainly agree with it based on the match itself. The players looked tired. They looked mentally beaten. They were poor at the breakdown. That's where France won. France was just all over them in the second half there. The Pumas were poor in the midfield defense, but absolutely ripped apart. Uh, the scrum was, uh, was uh, what else can you say? It was appalling. It was a 42% winning rate of the, their own scrums in the first half. Uh, and there was a 72% success rate tackling, so 28% failure. Uh, Ledesma said himself, it's just absolutely unacceptable at this level. Um, so, yeah, they, they were absolutely dreadful. Uh, for their own standards, they admit it themselves. Uh, training was now pushed back one day for the Scotland match. Uh, they arrived in, in Edinburgh later. Problems with flights and uh, uh, just getting over the how bad they were against France, I think. Uh, so usually Argentina have Wednesday as their day off. But uh, this week they made Monday to be their day off. And this was also related to the tragedy with Marcos Crema losing his girlfriend, Sofia. She was uh, just 23, and uh, she's died from leukemia. It's just absolutely shocking. I mean, the guy's 21 years old, and this happens. So uh, absolutely dreadful. I mean, that's only going to lift the players. But, uh, uh, I mean, they, they had to just literally relate this to also what was going on with their own performances to just stop, let's take a day off on Monday. And... Uh, Hopefully, uh, they can turn it into a much better performance against Scotland. The, the center combination of Geronimo de la Fuente and, and Matias Orlando, you know, individually, they're good players, but as a unit, they just don't seem to be able to create anything offensively. Uh, you know, they've got Batista Escura and Matias Morona, who are, are quicker and better in offense, but both a bit smaller physically. You know, how, how can Argentina get some bite back in the midfield? Good question. Exactly. I'm not sure what they can do. Uh, realistically, they don't really have any other options unless they're going to move a player from a, a fly half, for instance, like they've done in the past. But uh, from the current roster that they have, I, I don't see that as, as, a, as a possibility. Uh, I think uh, Orlando had had the worst match defensively of his career in Puma's col- colors anyway against France. Uh uh, De La Fuente was okay. Uh, he did set up the try. But he, he gave the uh, the magic pass to Moshano to score. So uh, that was a plus. But realistically, these guys, I'm not sure, uh, are, are going to be the, the standard required to get past France and England in the World Cup. Uh, Marcelo Bosch to Wald. So 
who, who can you get? Well, possibly the answer is what we've mentioned in the past, which is let, let's get uh, Emiliano Buffet playing center. He was 13 in the under-20s, hasn't been there since then, simply because he was 21 in Jaguares playing wing. Now he's fullback because the fullback they have is injured. So, I mean, what are we going to do? Are we going to to move him against the midfield? I mean, maybe they're going to have to. I, I did think that Matias Moroni was good in the rugby championship. And now that they're going for Orlando, he did have a, have a couple of good games in the rugby championship himself. But we're not seeing the same command over the position as we've had from previous players like Bosch, for instance. So they're in a bit of a hole. I don't see any immediate... Uh, solutions. So hopefully they do have some surprises for us. So Scotland have named their team for the weekend already. It's a side with a, a lot of attacking potential. They've got uh, Hastings at 10 and Russell at 12. Is there any chance of a Pumas win at Murrayfield? Oh, definitely. People are talking about the, the match from uh, Shackle from Argentina in June, just how poor Argentina were. That was Horkad's final match. Scotland uh, won that easily. In fact, it was just just absolute, like, uh, you know, playing against schoolboys. Argentina were dreadful in that match. They're not going to be anything like that again. No question there. I thought Scotland were very strong against South Africa and Fiji. They could have actually defeated uh, the South Africans, and maybe they should have. I mean, uh, the captain, Colisi, why on earth he was not red-carded for a headbutt? I don't know. Uh, I did notice that I thought the distribution from uh, Greg Laidlaw was a bit slow. I think he could be targeted. I think if Argentina latched onto that, Matera could give him, uh, you know, a hard, hard afternoon. Uh, the traditional Scottish power of the pack, I don't really see it there. I think the backs, like you mentioned, is uh, more of a standout area nowadays. Russell 12, very interesting. I cannot recall seeing him play there. He's always been 10. You know, he's been the best 10 in France this year. Okay, they want more attack, I guess, but don't really see the need to go there, but they have. I think Argentina, though, they simply have to win this match. Uh, this is this is about ending a year, which has had all kinds of problems. Ledesma got them to win away in Australia. Uh, now you've got the, the Marcus uh, Kremers tragedy, and I just think this is, this is going to be the motivation for them. So I'm going to call Argentina to win by six. Uh, Uruguay smashed at Hartbury 68-7 to by Fiji. Almost a complete write-off for Los Terros. And to make matters worse, they lost Manuel Ardao, their promising uh, flanker-turned-hooker early in the second half. Um, Santiago Arata, on the other hand, was uh, was very good. Did you see any other positives aside from Arata's performance? No, just that, just that. And uh, it was expected a big defeat. There's no no hiding that fact. Fiji are on another level. Fiji, for me, are tier one. If we're going to have tier categories, uh, Fiji are tier one. They are the level of the Maori All Blacks, who people say are tier one. So for me, uh, they're definitely, together with uh, Japan, I, I see them being as much closer to Argentina or uh, Scotland or level or France level than I do to being uh, Uruguay level, Fiji. So I would call them definitely tier one. Uh, looking at how the backs were just placed up was was just really noteworthy. The Fijian backs, just huge men. From 10 to 15, they were far larger than Uruguay's players. I mean, for instance, uh, Leandro Leves. I mean, he, he's not a small winger, but against Fiji, he, he was a small winger. Just the, the frame is just entirely different. And so without having guys like this and then having captain Juan Manuel Gavanada, he's a small flanker, and he, and he really looked just ex- more, smaller than ever, didn't he, against the Fijians? Uh, unfortunately, the decision to move uh, Manuel Ardell the hooker, I mean, that might need to be re-examined. I'm not sure if that was really a success. There's a question being raised by Ignacio Chans. Is there a curse of the Uruguayan hooker? Is it? I mean, well, Ardell is injured. He follows uh, Herman Kessler, as you mentioned, with a, who's out with a sprained knee. He won't be playing against Romania. So uh, they, they are looking to see if Facundo Gatas will be back. If so, he's going to start against Romanians. I, I'm sure he's going to be okay because no one else has been called. Uh, but yeah, this is going to be a really, really big game against Romania. They were not so flash against the United States. Uh, the scrum, for instance, was a real point of note. So, so I think Uruguay can recover. 
I'm going to to call them to rebound, win a tight game by three points. And uh, Augustino Machia also called up to uh, the, the squad. Interesting uh, to see him join another option at scrum half. Uh, so, yeah, no word on a front row replacement yet. So it looks like Gattas will be there. And uh, Guillermo Pujadas, who filled in at hooker, will be the, the backup. Some good news off the field. Three players signing Major League Rugby deals. Diego Magno and Alejandro Nieto off to the Houston Sabercats. And Rodrigo Silva is going to Austin Elite. So that's now eight going for sure. And probably still a couple more Uruguay players uh, to, to join up. Good news for the World Cup. Is this going to maybe hurt their ARC chances, though, with so many guys suddenly playing abroad? I would, I would suggest it will, but that's that's a problem that they need now. They've been overly protective by using uh, Uruguay 15 for many matches. Uh, so it, it's time now. Bite the bullet. Uruguay are in the World Cup. Stop worrying so much about your ranking. Uh, you've got to get these players. You've got, you need to have 30 players uh, for the World Cup and not just the starting 15 and some reserves. You're going to have 30 players. It's going to be so hard for the Uruguayans to play those two opening matches. We're going to talk about this repeatedly, but just having to play Fiji and Georgia, which are the, the lowest-ranked teams that, that Uruguay will go up against, and having them just three days apart, the minimum allowed by World Rugby as the first two matches. That's just a titanic assignment. Then after that, you're going to have to have Australia and Wales. I mean, either side of uh, either of those sides all going their way, they can get to the final and win the tournament. They're, they're, they've got it in them. So there's no there's no more time for excuses or mucking around here. Uh, they're going to be missing players for the America's Rugby Championship, but let's use it to to their advantage. It's going to have to realistically be be tackled head on because Uruguay will need to have players uh, playing in any position, you know, across the field, called up to to get a, even a start against Australia. That's just how tough it's going to be in the World Cup. Back in South America, Chile lost 73 nothing to the Maori All Blacks. No surprise really there. Uh, the good news: Apoquindo was sold out. Uh, you know, full house, 15,000-ish uh, in attendance. One of the Chilean fans on the website was commenting that this match was, in his opinion, a waste of time because it wasn't competitive. But I, I don't really see how it's any different to some of the ARC matches. You know, they lost 64 nothing to the Eagles in 2016. It was like 57-9 in 2017. Uh, this year in February, they lost to Uruguay, 67-15. So, you know, I don't really see a big difference there. And I get that it's disheartening to get beaten up all the time, but surely you have to accept these opportunities to play top sides when they're presented. Oh, absolutely. Uh, look, the Mario All Blacks were far too good. We knew they would be far too good. Let's not kid ourselves here. This is amateurs playing against professionals. They cannot win in these situations. We need to get some perspective on this. So how about let's go back to Rugby World Cup 2003, Australia versus Namibia. So that was Namibia's second World Cup. Not their first, their second. They lost 143-0. to zero against Australia, 143. That's a lot more than Chile against the Mario Blacks. What about where you woke up 2011? So now we're talking about Namibia's fourth World Cup. Well, they lost by over 80 points against both South Africa and Wales. Canada, back in, in 99, they put 70 points on Namibia. What is the, the point in all of this? Well, obviously, if you look at what happened in the last World Cup in 2015, uh, Namibia against New Zealand, for instance, well, New Zealand won by a lower score than South Africa and Wales did four years earlier and far, far less than the 2003 tournament. So with a little bit of investment and, and improvement, it's pretty clear what this represents for Chile. And uh, Chile can reflect on the match with this in mind and say, hey, we need a, a path to professionalism. And we actually have it. It's the Liga Sulamericana. That's it. We've got to get uh, our, our best players playing for us when we have test matches. I mean, scheduling a match against the Mario Bucks, one problem with that is it's not a test match. So therefore getting a French club to release, you know, Pablo Huete, for instance, that's a bit problematic because it's not a real uh, fixture in that regard. But look, the big picture, Chile lost by a big score. They did concede 
uh, a lot of points at the end. It was more competitive than the final score does suggest. I mean, four tries in the final six minutes is is crazy, and that's what uh, Chile conceded. So let's let's be uh, a bit patient with this, and let's reflect on the fixture. Look, it was full, and, and uh, get some perspective. Sud America fifteen. Uh, 75-22 over Paraguay. Uh, a couple Colombians, or a few Colombians rather, getting chances to play alongside some uh, some Argentinian players in that game. We saw uh, Jean-Arly Urutia, the lightning-quick Colombian winger, scoring a couple tries in that one. Uh, good game for Domingo Miotti. Picked up uh, 10 conversions, pretty much controlled the game for the Sudamerica side. Are you in favor of seeing more of these kinds of fixtures in the future? Absolutely. It's a very good fixture for, for Paraguay. I, would, I was very happy to see this happen. I think that having more players exposed to this is good for everybody involved. It's a win-win situation. Paraguay themselves, well, they were cleanly beaten, but they scored uh, four tries. And they had a, a very good turnout. This is really interesting because Paraguay does deliver in getting home crowds. Uh, for instance, Brazil, they, well, they got 34,500 against the Mario All Blacks. I mean, that's huge. But... They got under a thousand against Colombia earlier this year, so that's extremely inconsistent. Paraguay, they they are consistent in compared compared to that. I mean, they they always getting a few thousand along to their matches. Their club final had a great crowd too, so I think it's a good good idea uh, that Paraguay are, are looking to join the the Liga Sudamericana. They're gonna get tremendous benefits in terms of superior player base from this better test side from this and uh, there's a path there for them moving forward so it's tremendous moving towards the 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 happier notes of the weekend which is pretty much all north american based usa uh, completely thumping romania 31 to 5 you know you can say not a full strength oaks side but at the same time it's not a full strength eagles side either Pretty much uh, all positives for USA in this one. It looked like they controlled Romania in the set piece in that in this match, which was an interesting sight for me to see compared to what we've seen in the past. Absolutely, and and they're thirteenth in the world now. I mean, and with good reason. Uh, they've won all their cap matches this year, and they've done this like you say. They've been Eagles uh, missing through injury or, or club commitment. It's what, whatever be the case, but the Eagles are winning and. Uh, they have a, a player base very, very unlike that of the past. Uh, it was very easy in the past for one guy to, to, to uh, get injured, and they just couldn't replace him. And uh, we're not seeing that at the moment. We're seeing the opposite. In fact, Will Maggie was third choice, I guess, fly half, isn't he, because uh, of the injured players. And he had a great match. He was thrust into the side, and he, he had, did a fine job. Uh, Bryce Campbell was a great Great performer. I thought Nick Savita, another. Cam Dolan, playing number eight, but he was an outstanding jumper in the Lions. That's fantastic. Uh, I mean, of course, they're going to play against the Irish this coming weekend, world number two. There's even a debate now whether they're the world number one. So it's going to be, you know, very hard for the Eagles to be competitive in this match. But, I mean, that that's a minor detail. This is a fixture which is badly needed. Uh, I mean, the, the Eagles have... Uh, Argentina, England, France, and Tonga in the World Cup and Japan next year. So three of those four oppositions are, are elite p- opponents. One of them's won the World Cup. The other one's lost, maybe should not have lost the final. And, and the third's been to the semi- semifinals twice. It's huge. So the United States need this match against Ireland. No doubt about that. It's great preparation for them. Let's see where the scrum is against an elite opponent. I agree with you that uh, they had the, the batter of Romania in the scrum, and this was just unthinkable in the recent past. Uh, I remember World Cup 2011, Todd Clever uh, making the choice, which really, rarely happens, of uh, scrum or line-out. He chose line-out from a, you know, referee option. So it's like, now, now that's not happening because they're uh, just, just vastly better. So this weekend, Ireland, obviously, they've beaten New Zealand. An amazing match from this past weekend. USA coming in. Uh, they've won nine straight test matches. I think most people are probably thinking this is the end of that streak, but still a, a terrific year. So uh, Canada, 
they get their win over Germany, the big win. I mean, it was pretty nervous going for the first hour, and then they just kind of uh, broke through finally. They had a huge amount of uh, possession and territory, 65% uh, possession, 75% territory in the first half, uh, but still Germany managed to stay in, but kind of overcame them in the end. They got the win they needed, and now really just inches short from officially qualifying as the last team in the World Cup. Uh, obviously, this is a massive relief for Canadian rugby fans and, and the coaching staff, everybody. Is there any possible way they can let this slip up against Hong Kong this coming weekend? Absolutely not. No, the job is almost done. Obviously, people don't want to come out and say it, but yeah, Canada will be at Rugby World Cup 2019. They need to see off Hong Kong. Well, actually, I mean, they can lose it to qualify. However, let's be genuine. I mean, Canada... They, they must win the, the game for morale and for other reasons. I'm a bit puzzled, I must say, about the fly half selection. I mean, let me hear your view on this. Is this a long-term plan? Or is, let's say, Shane O'Leary or maybe Nate Hirayama going to be 10 at the World Cup? I really can't see Hirayama coming back in. He's just pretty much made it clear that he's a sevens guy, and I don't necessarily disagree with that. Uh, I am surprised. Uh, certainly a lot of people were surprised to see McCrory selected. I was certainly surprised and, and perhaps even more surprised that Shane O'Leary didn't even make the bench. Sure, he didn't have the greatest games for Canada earlier this year, but let's look at the context of those. When he came back against Uruguay, he was coming, it was first came back from a, an injury. He'd been out. He hadn't played in weeks, a couple months. Uh, and then in, in the summer, he really didn't have a great stretch of games when he was with the trail finders last year. So this year he's, you know, he's played in every game for Nottingham. He's the leading point scorer in the championship, the English second division. I just don't see how, we can have a player of that caliber not even make the 23, especially when we've got two centers on the bench. That just seems strange to me. So I think that is maybe the, the most interesting position to me moving forward. But uh, I agree. It's a, it's a strange one. Um, I think it's a big relief that the World Cup is finally uh, – it's within touching distance now. It looks like Canada will continue their streak of having played at every World Cup. Do you think they can get a win there? It looks – you know, Namibia. Is Namibia a realistic win at the World Cup? Absolutely. I think the great news for Canada is what lies ahead because Italy are not in good shape. So, I mean, they're in need of a miraculous turnaround to give either South Africa or New Zealand a genuine contest at the World Cup. I think Canada can target the Italians. And like you mentioned, Namibia, definitely. That's a game in which Canada will win, not uh, might. They will win that. Namibia, they weren't at full strength, but they've fallen to Russia and Spain this month. So there are no kinds of problems. I, I don't see um, the African side being able to, to have the same firepower that they had four years ago at the World Cup. Their uh, off-field controversies are well documented. So I figure that because of where this is placed in the schedule, uh, that that's a game which Canada are going to go into as favorites. They're going to be ranked higher than them prior to the match too. So I'm very confident that uh, Canada are going to get a win in the, in the World Cup, and, and like I say, the game against Italy is going to be one which Canada can really target too. And before we tie things up, uh, just one last quick mention. Brazil is going to play a couple games in Argentina, Tucumán on Friday, and then at Salta early next week. Uh, good opportunity kind of to test their their fringe players. They're, they're resting the Duque brothers, uh, Vieira and Delacqua, the big second rows, have gone back to Europe. Uh, you know, this has got to be an important couple games for Brazil heading into the, the ARC. Definitely. This is ARC preparation. Brazil uh, know that results are, are, are what please the powers that be, the sponsors and so forth. And uh, I mean, Brazil are, are no, long, no longer there to, to be considered by anybody is, is just to make it a six nations tournament. No, they're there because they deserve to be there. And so this is a great opportunity for players to push for places, for new combinations to be assessed. And, and it's very exciting for them. Certainly looking forward to seeing these results after they're riding that high of, of the uh, the Maori visit. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think we've covered a lot today, so we'll call it there, and uh, we'll connect again next week. We will, with Canada confirmed for the World Cup. I like your attitude, sir. 
Paul Tate of America's Rugby News. You can find him on Twitter at Argentina underscore 2027. You can find me at Rays Rugby, R-A-Y-S Rugby. Just one more thing to add. Shoutouts and congratulations to Belize, who are playing their first ever international rugby match on Sunday. They'll be playing some sevens against Guatemala as part of their national club finals. The team's nickname is the Macaws, uh, not as in Richie, as in the bird. So good luck, fellas. Great to see another country in the Americas striving for bigger things. That's it from me. Give us a follow on iTunes or Acast or SoundCloud or YouTube or Spotify, whatever your favorite is. Last call for name suggestions. I'm Brian Ray, signing off. Enjoy your rugby weekend.